Well, church, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have a pastor. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to applause. I just wasn't sure if you remembered because I was gone. <laughs> yeah, this is not, not how you draw it up, really. Nothing, none of this is how you draw it up, but here we are. Uh, I was talking to... Uh, children's ministry volunteers this morning, and in the course of that, I was reminded it's been five months that I've been coming here. Almost half a year. Seems like a blink of an eye, really. Uh, in some ways, it seems like, you know how you have that, those sort of weird time warps where things, it's hard to keep track? Installation was two weeks ago, but in my mind, it seems like it was a long time ago. Uh, but it is good, good to be back with you. I miss being with you last week. I'm very thankful for Pastor Kerry stepping into the pulpit and, and delivering a great message for you. Uh, I'm thankful for the staff that we have at Calvary, and I'm thankful for you. I'm excited to be back with you. So some of you might not know, my name is Dustin Metcalf, newly installed pastor of this church. It is nice to have you here, and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Enough of the applause. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, you, your applauding is messing me up, so don't do that anymore. <laughs> What I was going to say is that you might not know, most of you know this, but my wife is the district superintendent of the upstate New York district and uh, oversees 41 Nazarene churches all over. Today she's in Johnstown. Anybody in here know where Johnstown is? Yeah, just a few of you. <laughs> it's towards Albany, uh, two hours out of Syracuse. And so she's worshiping with that congregation this morning. The reason I wasn't with you last week is because I had the privilege of traveling with her to go to a DS conference. So we have 78 districts in the Church of the Nazarene in, in the USA and Canada. And so 78 district superintendents and spouses descended on Kansas City. And not only DSs and their spouses, I was one of, well, I was the only male spouse there, actually. We have one in Canada, too, but he didn't come. Shame on him. <laughs> Uh, not only did we have DSs and their spouses, we had each of the six general superintendents were there and they spoke to us. Uh, we had universe, Nazarene University presidents that came from all over the U.S. We had regional directors that came from outside of the U.S. These are, these are those that are overseeing our mission fields. They, many of them were there. We had the NCM coordinator, Nell Sweden, was there. Uh, lots of, because uh, headquarters for the Church of the Nazarene is in Kansas City, there were a lot of support staff there. So anyway, we were surrounded by a lot of Nazarene, no, Nazarendom. Uh, a lot of nerds, right? Um, it was great. I wanted to show a video. We're not going to do it because the quality of it isn't great. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a window of what I experienced. And this is something that I'm going to wrestle with and think about as we move forward. I want you to know what Olivia is doing because she's a part of this congregation. But she can't be here all the time. And I want you to know what she's doing on the district and things that we're experiencing because of that. And so I'm just going to give you a little snippet. I feel like you let me go for a week. Only, I was only on the job for not even a week and I was gone. That maybe I should give you some insider information. What do you think? So I have two friends that were in Kansas City with us. Uh, one of them is a general superintendent, and one of them is a district superintendent. And they both were missionaries before becoming 
uh, the roles that they're in now. One was missionary in Russia, one missionary in Ukraine. So I asked my, my friend that was missionary in Ukraine, I, what he happened to go just a few months ago to the war zone. He went with doctors. He took a, a, a ministry team of doctors and nurses to go, and he traveled around. And of course, this was a place that he ministered, and so he had contacts. And I just asked him, what's going on? What did you see? What did you experience? And this is what he said. When the war started, there were a lot of, uh, in our Nazarene churches, we have many Nazarene churches in the Ukraine, a lot of our pastors actually left. But God raised up new pastors in those congregations, and those churches are exploding in growth. People are daily coming to the Lord in the Ukraine. That's, praise God for that, right? Amen. I was, so we rejoice in that. Of course, we don't want to, to minimize the damage, the destruction. All of this that's happening is, is in a war area. And so we understand that. But God can take some of the worst things in life and turn them into something glorious. And we praise God that that's happening right now. But I talked to my GS friend that was a missionary in Russia. And I asked her, what about our brothers and sisters in Russia? We have Nazarene churches in Russia. This is what she said to me. They feel like the, mat, the world's mad at them. They feel isolated. They feel alone. And I understand why. They're taking the blame for one man. A whole people group are taking the blame. And I think for us, we need to be careful to remember that we have Nazarenes, we have Christians, we have brothers and sisters in Christ on both sides of this conflict. So let's be the people that pray for both sides. Amen? Let's make sure that we're not letting our feelings uh, jade us to one people group. And so uh, my heart breaks this morning for our brothers and sisters in Russia that are maybe feeling like they're alone. Oh, God, help them not to feel alone. Well, the Super Bowl was a big deal. Kansas City, big deal. Um, I want you to know I wore green to the event. <laughs> I'm not an Eagles fan, but I wore green. I don't know why. Uh, people took it as a slight. Um, that's all right. <laughs> so I represented the Bills. Um, a thing that really did come up a lot, though, is the Asbury Awakening or Revival. Have you heard about this? So a Christian university in Kentucky required chapels. This is what we did at NNU when we were chaplains there. It's what ENC is doing in Boston. Are, uh, and required chapels. And this chapel service just never ended, and it's still going. And people are experiencing things, and it's amazing, and and. Maybe God's going to do a revival or an awakening like we've seen in the past. We don't know what he's going to do. But I came across an article from a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, which is across the street from the university. And his son happens to be at the university. And as I was reading this, I, I, I came across this sentence. He says, clearly this is not the blissful vision of seeing Christ in all his glory. He was talking about how beautiful this is. But if what we are seeing is even the faintest shadow of that reality, then what lies before us is unspeakable joy and holy love. 
We may not be seeing Christ in his full glory, but what we are seeing, he says, is giving us evidence that God is bringing shalom, peace, and there's joy unspeakable, and there's holy love that is a part of this experience. And I read those words, and I instantly thought of today's message, because today we go to the Mount of Transfiguration, where we get a window into Christ in his full glory. Matthew chapter 17. It's the last Sunday of Epiphany, the season of light. That's what Epiphany is about, is, is, is about the season of light. And so this is the apex of that, a high point of that, a fitting into the season of light is that we ascend up the hill. Oh, I saw something happen behind me. I wasn't sure what it was. Uh, <laughs> we ascend up the hill, the mount with Jesus and the disciples, and we see, well... Try to imagine Christ in his glory. It is a hard passage. You understand that, right? It is a hard passage to wrap our minds around because we are just feeble humans, limited in our intellect, even limited in our imagination. Can you even begin to scratch the surface of understanding what Christ looks like in his full glory, in his radiance? Oh, we can read the words that say he shined like the sun. But I don't know that I can fully imagine that or fully picture it. But we're going to try hard this morning to open our minds, to open our hearts. God, as we come to the inspired words of Matthew chapter 17, and as we are taken up the Mount of Transfiguration, oh, we just want to see as best we can. We want to hear as best we can, God. Would you help us to experience a little bit of this, a glimmer of this, so that we too can walk out of here filled with joy unspeakable and a holy love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The text, Matthew chapter 17, starting with verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Jesus then there appeared before, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Oh, I can't even begin to try to explain this passage to you. The commentaries that I read uh, this last week 
suggested to us pastors, us preachers, you need to be careful with this passage. Because what's happening here is miraculous. It is a supernatural phenomenon. There are not rational explanations that can explain this way or make it easy for us to understand. God is God, and God does things that God wants to do in the way that God wants to do it. And sometimes that makes sense to us humans, and sometimes it doesn't fit our framework, does it? But it's God. And we can sort of wrap our minds around much of Christ's life, life, I think, because it centers around teaching. And his teaching isn't always easy for us, but I think we can begin to wrap our minds around it. We can understand it. it we can wrestle with it. It makes sense to us. But there are moments where we find Christ doing the miraculous, and those are hard for us to fully understand. Or he's caught up in the miraculous, and those are hard for us to understand. But I think we need to be mindful this morning that Jesus isn't just a wise teacher, is he? Oh, he is a wise teacher, but he's not just a wise teacher. He's not just a great philosopher. All of that's true about him, but Jesus is so much more than that, isn't he? All right, all right. We're going to have to shut down the church. <laughs> Because if we're just here learning some moral lessons, then I don't know that we're in the right place. We're here because Jesus is more than just a teacher. He is God incarnate. God in flesh. And so the miraculous happens. Surely the transfiguration is one of these miraculous moments. A reminder to us. I think this is ultimately one of the things that we need to value about this, this scene is that it is a reminder to us that this one that we have been following is divine. He's divine. He's God. God with us. And we're invited with these other disciples, Peter, James, and John, to walk up this mountain with them. To be witness to this. But I, I have a question about that. Why does Jesus only choose Peter, James, and John to go up the mountain? The text is very clear that he's purposeful about this. He chooses those three to follow him up the mountain. And I want to know why. Doesn't it make more sense that Jesus would choose all 12 disciples so that all 12 could have a shared experience? In fact, the same experience. Why would Jesus only choose three of the 12 to have this experience? Now, clearly, Jesus didn't think that all 12 needed to go up the mountain, or he would have asked all 12, right? So Jesus has a reason for this. The text doesn't tell us the reason, so I'm just going to kind of wrestle with you a little bit. Maybe you have different ideas about it, but I wonder as I've been thinking about this, I wonder if maybe the other nine weren't yet ready in their walk with Jesus, because we're not all in the same, at the same place. Maybe the other nine weren't yet ready for such an amazing moment as this, such a powerful moment. Maybe it would have been crushing to them. I don't know. I'm just speculating. 
maybe they weren't ready. It is interesting that these three that are chosen actually don't come across as being all that great in this passage. In Mark's gospel, we have a a similar scene to this. And in Mark's gospel, Peter, he says that Peter was out of his mind when he was speaking. (laughs) Mark doesn't take a very positive view of of what Peter was doing on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew doesn't say it like that, but did you notice verse 5? Did you see that while Peter was speaking, the voice from heaven interrupts him? Did you get it? Peter's speaking some maybe things that don't make a lot of sense, and God the Father's having none of it. (laughs) Be quiet. I'm speaking now. (laughs) Peter doesn't even get to finish his sentence, and God the Father speaks. Uh, So even these three that are up there maybe aren't yet ready for this. I I don't exactly know why Jesus chooses the three. And not the 12. But it seems to me that this is a reminder to us that we don't all have the same experiences with God. Peter, James, and John hear the voice of the Father in an audible way. I have never experienced that in my life. I've had impressions. I've had the Holy Spirit speak to me internally. But I have never heard an audible voice. And maybe some of you have, but I'm pretty sure... I'm not the only one in here that hasn't. Maybe we won't get that experience until we stand before Jesus, before the triune God in heaven. Peter, James, and John get to see Jesus in his heavenly glory. I've never experienced that. And I doubt too many of us in here will be able to experience this, that this side of Meeting Jesus face to face in heaven. We are not each promised the same experiences with God. But you know what? We can rejoice in one another's experiences, can't we? If we are each not given identical moments of what it means to actually be in relationship with God, then guess what? I need you in my life. Because you're experiencing God in ways that I might not be able to. And so I can listen to you. And I, in fact, can grow from your experience because you reveal to me a way of viewing God that might not be intuitive to me or might not be capable for me. And I can offer the same for you. We need each other, don't we? Don't we? We need each other because we are not the sum total of God. I'm just a sliver of what God is doing in this world. And the more I can break out of my own little bubble, and the more I can invite others in my life, those from various backgrounds and who have walked different paths in me, they help me to see how amazing and wonderful God really is. The three, another way to say this, the three, Because they came off that mountain and shared their story. Today, the three has turned to millions. Do you understand that? Millions. The three came off the mountain 
And they shared their story. And so now we've been brought into it. Now it's interesting to me that it's not a foregone conclusion in this text that they actually are going to come off the mountain. Because did you hear what Peter wanted to do? He wanted to set up some tabernacles, some structures. He wanted to camp out on the Mount of Transfiguration. And why wouldn't you want to camp out with the transfigured Christ, right? If you were there that day, if I was there that day, and if I was invited to go up the mountain with Jesus and I saw him in his glory, I think I'd want to stay there. I think if you were able to go to heaven, I don't know that you'd really want to come back to earth, would you? I think you'd want to stay. I think you'd want to camp. I think this would be permanent place for you. And so I think Peter not knowing exactly what's happening and maybe talking a little bit out of his mind, whatever's going on there, I think, he's, I think he's being kind of rational in the sense that I want to stay here. This is so amazing. Oh, this is where I want to be. Everything's right here. But if the three had stayed, you and I would have never heard. If the th three could have stayed, then there would be no millions. The experience we have with God and of God are not meant for us alone, are they? They are meant for us to share with others. Because your experience with God is not just about you. And mine is not just about me. And I wanted to read those words to you because I wrote those words before I listened to Carrie's sermon. And those words seem to echo a lot of what she said last week. So we have two pastors that are saying the same thing to you. That have not talked to each other about their two texts. I think God's wanting to say something to this church. We need to be a family. We need to be connected together. We're not doing the faith journey as a solo journey. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need the people that are sitting next to us. We need other people to come into this place, not so we can just give them our version of God, but so we can hear from them because they can benefit us. Amen? Peter, James, and John no doubt wanted to stay. They were in awe. They wanted to experience more for themselves, no doubt. In other words, they were probably not thinking about us at all while they were up on this mount. I don't think they were probably thinking about anybody. Oh, they get to experience Christ in his glory. And 2,000 years later, because Jesus walked them off the mountain, our lives are enriched because of what they saw and what they heard. We've been given a vision of the glorified Christ so that in those moments of doubt, in those moments of fear, in those moments of uncertainty, which are going to come our way, guess what? We can go back to this passage and we can be reminded, oh, that's right, he's God. There he is in his glory, and he's the very one that is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And the book of Hebrews tells us he is interceding on our behalf. He's the one. The one that shines like the sun, whose radiance is too much to take. He's the one that is interceding for you and me right now. 
And because Peter, James, and John were invited up this mountain and were able to see this and then come down because Jesus walked them off the mountain and didn't let them camp there, we've been now witness to it. We haven't seen it with our own eyes exactly. But oh, if we could just get a glimmer of it, a taste of it, oh, it can help us so much, can't us? Especially in those times of need and doubt and struggle. Oh, he's far more than just a wise teacher, far more than a moral man. He is so much more than that because this one is revealed to us as the second person of the Trinity, God of God and light of light, as the creeds say. We see it in this passage. It's revealed to us. He shines like the sun. He alone is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. No wonder Moses and Elijah show up at the scene. Do you see what God is doing here? He's saying to us, look, this is the one that I love. He is my beloved son. Listen to him. Why do we need to listen to Jesus? Because friends, the fullness of God dwells in him. Why just a moment of this? You ever thought about that? I mean, this is an amazing scene. It takes us into the transcendence of God, the otherness of God. But why just a moment? In other words, why doesn't the rest of the gospel, all the time that Jesus, we follow Jesus throughout the gospel, why isn't he shining like the sun? Why, when he walks down the Mount of Transfiguration, isn't he still shining like the sun? Why is it just a brief window, this glimpse that we're given? Have you ever thought about that? I think the text hints at us the answer. The presence of Christ Transfigured, coupled with the voice of God the Father, is almost too much for those three disciples to bear. Did you notice that? Verse 6 tells us that when the voice spoke, they fell on their faces, terrified. That Greek word that's translated into the English, terrified, is related to the Greek word phobos, which we get phobia from. And there are times in Scripture where this word and, and, and the various words connected to it can really be translated as reverence, right? A holy fear. And we see that sometimes in Scripture. A holy fear, awe and wonder. But more often than not, this word is translated as, as being terrified. Stricken with fear. To the point of wanting to take flight. Scared to and I think that's what's happening here. In the presence of the transfigured Christ, the voice of the Father coming down. Those three disciples were struck with fear, scared to death. And why wouldn't they be? Because, friends, they just were brought into the presence of the Holy Trinity. It is only after Jesus touches them and speaks to them 
they recover. Jesus, no longer in his heavenly glory, mind you, but Jesus looking very much the part of an ordinary man. It's only at that point that they're no longer afraid. And I suspect that if Jesus walked off the mountain shining like the sun, fear and terror would have been the response on the part of humanity. Not reverence, not holy wonder, not awe, but terror. That we actually can't take that as we are. We would have been in absolute terror and therefore love couldn't have happened. Do you understand that? Because you can't fall in love with something that you're afraid of, can you? Did you sing the song today? You sing it, I, I heard you. I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. A slave responds to the master out of fear, out of the fear of punishment. And I think if Jesus Christ had walked down the Mount of Transfiguration in his full glory, then humanity would have responded out of terror and fear as a slave. That's not what God wants from us, is it? That's not why Christ came, is it? Did Christ come because he wanted to scare us into the kingdom of God? Church, did he? No. Do we have the story of the transfiguration positioned halfway through this gospel? Do we have it just as a wake-up call to say, Hey, God wants to scare you punish you, terrorize you? Is the cross a terror instrument to, to get us into a kingdom? No, I don't believe so. I think what the cross stands for is God's love for us. That, in fact, Jesus walks down this mountain looking very much like his ordinary self so that you and I can have the opportunity to fall in love with him. Because if we saw him, this side of eternity, if we saw him in his full glory, we would be like Peter, James, and John, scared to death. God loves us so much, he's going to walk off the mountain looking like an ordinary man. So the one who shines like the sun, whose full radiance is too much to bear, chooses to walk with us in a fashion we can take to meet us where we are to reveal his light and his glory in small doses to us so that you and I can fall in love with him the song that we sung right before I got up here I will carry you you understand that that's that's what Jesus is choosing, is not to stay in his heavenly glory, but that's what he's given up to come down to us, to live with us so that he can walk with us, so that we, he can become one with us, so that we can become one with him. And why does God do this? Because he loves you. So this is good news for us. Because no matter how you felt about your life when you walked into this sanctuary, Young people, are you listening to me right now? <laughs> I like how your heads popped up. 
You need to listen to this part. If anything else, I, it's all right. No matter how we felt when we walked into this space, God wants to meet us here. Did you see him? Oh, you can't miss the transfigured Christ. <laughs> you can't miss it. But when he's not transfigured, when he's not in his full glory, we can miss him, can't we? He walks off that mountain and he lives with us. And, and I wonder if, did we witness him this morning? The great I am? The opening song, if you weren't in here when we started church, you missed out because, ooh, I heard him. <laughs> I heard him in the voices of our singers and in the fingers of our instrumentalists. Did you? When Owen stood up here, young man in our congregation, and opened Psalm 2 for us and reminded us, oh, kings of this world, you think you're great. Let us reveal the real king in all his glory, right? Did you hear God speaking? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, one of my favorite theologians, a German theologian killed right at the end of World War II, he writes about the power of sermons and he says, on the words of the preacher, Christ walks. So friends, if I've preached well today, it has nothing to do with me. That means Christ has been among us in the words, speaking to you. Have you seen him? Have you heard him? <laughs> oh, if we could just have but a glimmer of Christ in his glory. Then what joy might fill this place? What holy love might fill our lives? Because why has Christ come to scare us into the kingdom, to, to give fear to us? No, he has come to give us I want to close with a quote from a Japanese theologian, a guy named Koizuki Koyama. He's now, he's now since deceased. He was a missionary in Thailand, and he was trying to wrestle with, how do I take the, the really theological and deep things of Jesus, how do I take it to the humble farmers in Thailand? And he really was captivated by this idea that... that it, Jesus chose to come. God chose to send Christ at the most inefficient of times. Think about it. If Jesus were to come today for the first time, this was when he was to come, he would have access to internet, he would have access to social media, he would have access to planes. He could be anywhere in this world in a blink of an eye. His message could go forth everywhere with the most efficiency that humanity ever known, and yet Jesus did not come today. When did he come? 2,000 years ago, at a very inefficient time where communication traveled by foot, and do you know that most humans walk at three miles per hour? Three miles per hour. At just the right time, Christ comes. And the mode of transportation is three miles per hour. Reflecting on that, Koizuki Koyama says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster 
Love has its speed, he says. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds. It is the speed of love. Christ chooses to walk with us at this slow speed. He chooses to walk off the Mount of Transfiguration to carry us, as we sang, because that's as fast as we can go. So we've been given a glimpse of the glory of Christ this morning. But I think more importantly, we've been given a window into the heart of God. His heartbeat is for you. It's for me. He doesn't want to scare us to death. He wants to invite us into his kingdom. So we're going to take a few moments to pray together and then close with a song. And I don't know how God is speaking to you right now, but I'm just wondering if maybe in your own life, maybe there's some words that resonated with you in the sermon. Christ has been speaking to you in independent ways from what even I've said because he's walking amongst us. And maybe you want to come down to the altar and just have some time with Jesus. If he's not speaking to you specifically, I'm wondering if we could have some people filling up the altars for what's about to happen this evening. We're going to have this church survey come back and we're asking God to reveal to us what is the future of this church, your church. And I'm wondering if there are any leaders in here that would like to come down and pray on behalf of our church. I don't know what God is doing in your life, but if you want to make your chair an altar, if you want to kneel there, I'm going to ask you to just find a posture that you are comfortable with. Oh God, we... We desperately want a glimpse, a glimpse of your radiance, a glimpse of your holiness, a glimpse of who you really are. We need that. God, I pray that every time that we come into this sanctuary, this place set apart for, for worship of you, our holy God, that we would be prepared that we'd be ready to see you, to hear from you. Oh, I think it will change us, God. And of course, it's not just in this space that you reside. You're in all places, and so we can meet you in our houses, and we can meet you in our workplaces, and we can see the glory of who you are wherever we are, if we are open. So God, would you help us to be open? Open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to have kingdom imagination. God, we give ourselves to you. We are so grateful right now that you are not a God that terrorizes us with fear, though you could reveal yourself holy to us and terrorize us. You choose not to. You choose to give us little pieces so that we can take it, so that we can begin to understand you, so that we can 
fall in love with you. God, would you help us to fall in love with you? Reveal yourself to us bit by bit, God, so that we can become like your son, Jesus Christ. So that when we leave this morning, that we leave different because we have met the holy God today. And that we don't leave you here, but you go with us. Oh God, help us to be a force of change in this community. Not because of who we are, how great we are. No, just because we bear witness to you. Help us, God. We do pray for tonight. We don't know what the survey is going to say to us. There might be some hard things, some challenging things. God, we're not in control of that. But one thing that we do know right now, this is your church. We give it to you. We trust you and we give ourselves to you knowing that you will guide us into wholeness. And so God, would you help us, prepare us as we come back tonight to receive the words that we need to hear from you and inspire us, God, convict us, challenge us to live into the identity that you're calling us to. Thank you for being a three-mile-an-hour God, a God that chooses to walk with us. Oh, God, help us to be the people that follow you wherever you would have us go to your glory and for your kingdom to come here in this church, but in all of Henrietta, God, we ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.